everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Inside White Center. We are so happy to be here today. We have a special guest, a good friend of mine that I've known for years. So I'm really excited. She's in every way amazing. So we'll get into that. Excited to be here to basically share, you know, our authentic White Center stories, continue sharing information and knowledge and just staying connected with our community. I am a little sad that I don't have my partner in crime today, Frank, but he sends his best regards and will eat the pastries I brought here today. Yummy. <laughs> so to start, I would love to hand it over to Ronnie to do a land acknowledgement. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. This is going to be really exciting. So the land acknowledgement, um, I would just like to acknowledge that we're on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle the Duwamish people past and present and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe, which we're hoping as an organization that I'm going to be talking about later to work with more um, black indigenous people of color. And that does include indigenous people of the Duwamish land. So I felt that it was really important to do a land acknowledgement today. Thank you. Thank you very Thank you, much. Ronnie. That's Absolutely. awesome. I am also First Nation. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's a there's a Native American person in the room. We right. got to acknowledge you're here. Blessings. Yes. Blessings. Yes. Thank you very much. So just to start off, I just want to see how you're doing, Ronnie. It's been a minute. Yes. How's life been treating you? It's been good. I've just been kind of like going uphill for a little bit with my career. And it's okay. just really exciting to be doing something different that I'm used to and just learning so many things every week. I'm just really excited to see what 2023 has for me honestly like there's just so much going on in plan that i'm really looking forward to so i'm doing really good thank That's you awesome what kind of things were you learning yeah so um i work for family law casa uh -huh. of king county they're based in tequila and i'm the major gifts officer there so i'm in charge of keeping organized the major donors that we have at the organization okay. it's a pretty new program it's about a year out now but I was hired back in the end of September of last year to continue on with the program. So in, so the pandemic basically made us really pivot so that we don't focus a lot on the events because, of course, we couldn't do those events. Uh, so we can't do like three or four events a year. So instead of doing that, we're concentrating more those people who have the wealth and having a built relationship with them and stewarding them in order to continue a relationship that sustains a couple of years Whereas before, you know, events, you know, you kind of get people in the door and then out the door and then you kind of don't really have that relationship to sustain the mm -hmm. organization for. So it's a completely new way of working with people that we that we see and who sustain us, but also making sure that those relationships are real and impactful and that they know what we're doing so that we can continue on what we want to do for the next 20 years. Miss Bridge Builder over here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping. Bridging the gap over here. That's nice. <laughs> What was the title again? Gift what? Major Gifts Associate. Major Gifts. Yeah. So I, I automatically thought of like toy stores or something <laughs> like that. Like, you know, like, More than <laughs> that. Right. Gifts, yeah. What kind of gifts do you give? <laughs> Money. <laughs> Ooh, the best kind. Yeah. So I'd love to dive into your connection with White Center. Yes. Absolutely. So a born and raised White Center, always whoop, been whoop. here. <laughs> Let's do that. Got you. Yes, we applaud you. 
So I went to White Center Heights Elementary uh, when it was a brand new school. So they went from that little one. And I don't even know what they're doing with those buildings anymore, but it's just like nothingness. And then I went to Cascade Middle School and then Evergreen, but we were still split up as the three schools. So I was at the art school. Yeah. And I've just always been here, lived in the same house my whole life. Like my I'm second generation here. Um, I have my siblings, my older sister, my two younger brothers, and I've just always stuck around White Center. Like, there's there's no reason to move out of here. There's just so much going on. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about Family Law Casa. What kind of got you into that type of work? Yeah. So I was looking for a position that I could really make an impact for. Before I worked in corporate work, like, I kind of did what my parents wanted me to do, right? I fell into this trap of like trying to find money, but I really wasn't finding purpose in what I was doing. I got really burnt out. Like I got really depressed. Like I didn't really like what I was doing every day. I didn't look forward to going to work. I didn't really have goals that were surpassing my own like ethical standards. Mm. And I just really wanted to do something that made me feel good, but also helped and impacted the community in a better way. And I grew up on nonprofits, right? Like I mm-hmm. I was raised at the Boys and Girls Club, the Southwest Boys and Girls Club down the street, being around people that cared about me. And then moving into Girl Scouts as a young age too, with um, two ladies that were my mentors and I still talk to to this day. Mm. And I was constantly surrounded by people in a community. And as soon as I hit college, I was just suddenly alone. Like I really didn't have that community support anymore. I felt like everything was on my own and that I needed to work harder when really like I just needed more people around me mm. to support me. Good. So how many thin mints did you sell? <laughs> um, you know, we sold toys and stuff. Oh, how'd you do it? And then she sold me a box. <laughs> <laughs> we sold a lot of cookies. We made almost like $1.2 million worth what? of cookie sales. Um, our girls child label eyes, man. We're child label eyes. <laughs> we need to our, talk about Girl Scout here, man. What did you get? It wasn't just Girl uh-huh. Scout cookies. It was like fundraising for all sorts of things. Like we did, right. we did a pancake breakfast. We would do rummage sales. We would make bracelets. Um, just so many craft fairs. Overachievers over there, huh? <laughs> so many craft fairs. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, Ronnie's a hustler. Right. <laughs> Sometimes she, she just, I remember, like, Always last, moving, huh? like, last summer she would text me. She's like, I know this side job. You trying to work? <laughs> I was like, sure. <laughs> what does it entail? What do we got to do? Yeah. You're just like, selling cookies. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, just going back to what you were saying about when you went into college and you lost that sense of community, I can relate to that. And I, I don't think it's uncommon for, you know, like, people in the white center community choosing to go to college and then kind of shocked a little bit. Yes, absolutely. And then trying to find your way. It's it's really hard. I think I struggled and I know my friends struggled the the first like few months just trying to figure out like what is community without my community from home. Yes, mm. exactly. Like we're encouraged to go to college, of course, and you get so much support in high school. Like I'm so grateful for the people there. Shout out to Aaron Garcia and Jennifer Fachamba. Like I was always in the career center, like drafting something or writing something or trying to get suggestions for them on what schools I should go to because I really didn't know what that looked like for me. Mm. And coming from, you know, like a second generation family, like you don't know what this process is at all. And then as soon as you hit college and you get in, you know, it feels really good. You're there. 
Um, you're doing all the things. You're trying to get involved in all the clubs that you imagined you would be in. And then all of a sudden you get this shell shock of like, I don't know where I belong. Like, I don't know where my, my people are. Exactly. Uh. So it was really a challenge for me. And I actually ended up going to college at UW Tacoma mm. uh, for six years. Huh. I didn't graduate in four years at all. Huh. I had like a weird gap year my junior year. Uh -huh. um, I really hit like a brick wall in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And while I was doing, I was doing all the things right, like trying to do everything right and getting good grades, everything was falling apart because I really didn't see myself in these positions that my parents wanted me to be in. Yeah. I got lost. Like I really didn't know where to go. And because you're in college and you feel like you're supposed to be like an adult, you know, you're supposed to like know things. Mm -hmm. I kept it all to myself. Like I really didn't want to show that I was struggling like mm -hmm. whatsoever. Like I, I just wanted to push through it and go through the motions, I guess. Um, but that wasn't very helpful at all, at all. So I ended up taking like a gap year and like recollecting myself, earning some money on the side, trying to like stay on track in the ways that I knew mm -hmm. already, which was working and then getting back into it. Once I knew that like, there's going to be a calling for me as long as I, you know, have the sorts of skills and I have the kind of ethical background that I want to, um, build off of for me is community centric organizing. Mm. So I ended up getting my degree in ethnic gender and labor studies. I, I hadn't um, declared my major by my junior year and I was actually behind. Like my advisors were like, they're really pushing. They're like, you need to like decide this now. And I was like, I'm not ready. Like this mm. is a big decision. That's where I went. I went based on, you know, where I come from, which is a two parent household that constantly work like low income jobs. Mm. Um, and doing things based on how I grew up, um, just doing what I knew, but also understanding that like I needed to build like a framework that that included where I came from, which is White Center, which is like a community centric background. Mm. Um, so Casa kind of like saved your community lifestyle sort of thing, right? Am I saying that right, Casa? Yeah. Family law costume, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, they kind of saved your community pretty much, yeah, your like, sense of community, really. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I definitely, I'm still learning. Like, I'm, I've am been here for only, like, four and a half months now. But I definitely feel like I am starting to kind of understand, like, where I should position myself. Mm -hmm. And also that I can show up imperfectly, but also have, like, an idea and have a place where people will listen to me. I think that's really important is like just showing up mm -hmm. like period, like okay. showing up for community, but also realizing that like we're not all perfect. Um, and I just think like having an idea and having like an inspiration in the background is something that pushes me through is going to help me out because I don't know this work, right? Like I grew up on these things, but I don't know how this actually operates. So having that curiosity and going through that um, has been really important for me and even though there's like ups and downs in the work that I do, um, because I don't know these things, it's mm. just all of it's just really exciting. Honestly, the projects that I work on, I like to be really creative um, and I really like having to bounce ideas off of each other without feeling like the pressure of being perfect yeah. about the answer. Well, now you're like St. Nick. You're the gift giver. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so for the benefit of our listeners, what is Family Law CASA? Yeah, absolutely. So Family Law CASA, um, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. 
So what we do is that we have volunteers. We have our program side and we have our development side. Currently, I'm on the development side Mm. as the major gifts associate. And on the program side, we have folks who supervise volunteers who get trained professionally to write reports, who who interview children and their families and their communities, um, who are in like really contentious like court cases. So usually it's between parents, but there are cases where it's grandmas and other guardians. And we basically stand in the middle of these groups and we interview their families, all of that stuff in order to figure out what's the safest outcome that can come out of that case. So we literally become the voice of the children, whereas before there wasn't that in King County. And we've been operating for 20 years, and it's kind of crazy to me that there is not this service already being provided from the it's government. it's only been 20 years. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. and, you know, like, we're a pretty young organization, and the fact that we're going strong and operating on private um, donations alone is pretty crazy. A significant foot right there. It, That's awesome. It's When I first joined, I was pretty shocked that we didn't get any government funding. Like I had an idea that this was something that King County supported. Yeah. No, there are zero dollars that go into this. Really? From the county, yeah. But they expect us to provide a service for kids. They literally, how we get CASAs to go on these cases uh-huh. is that the court asks us to come in. Okay. Like they're all like, oh, this case is a little bit shoddy. Like I don't really know who to believe. These parents have their lawyers. They have their support system on their side uh-huh. because they want their kid, you know? Of course. Um, so they go into this, and then the kid doesn't even get to say, like, oh, actually, my mom is is saying that because she doesn't want my dad to to have me, like, yeah. half the time or or whatever the situation okay. is set up like. So you guys are like a mediator then. I yep. was just going to say that. Yeah, you guys are a mediator that helps helps determine – what the kids need like actually like unbiased are. like perspective yes uh, exactly third party mm-hmm. that's cool mm-hmm. yeah. so how long do you guys stay invested with these kids i mean is it just to mediate that particular thing or do you guys stay in there for the longevity of, of the child once their file is at their file as you say and you guys aren't aren't part of a government thing so you guys can't even hold that title then, huh? Nope. Mm-mm. We're just a separate nonprofit organization. Well, kudos uh, to you. Yeah. So the the founders of this organization, they um, there's the greater family law CASA in the nation, but mm-hmm. we're separate from that because that's dependency CASA. Dep- uh. Dependency CASA is those who have uh, foster kids. So we don't work with foster kids in the system, but we work with kids in King County specifically Mm -hmm. um, who are in these court cases that need help. So they don't have to be foster kids. Yeah. Um, You have a really good question there about. I don't know what I asked anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I I I asked a lot of questions, but I just. Like basically, do you say for the entirety of the whole court uh, case? Yes and no. No part of me is that. We don't know what happens to the kids after mm. the case is done and it's closed. Ah. Um, so that's a part of our strategic planning for the next 20 years that we're currently doing right now is trying to plan what other services and what other resources can we provide as an organization. To see if you can ride along with exactly. those kids for the longevity of exactly. it all. I got you. So we're trying to see like what that looks like currently and we're asking people in the community to come out and get interviewed for the strategic process that we're going through because it's been 20 years and we want to figure out what the next 20 years looks like. Mm. So not only am I trying to kind of get the word out about that, 
because we need all kinds of people to talk about this and realize that we're an available resource and that we want to grow. Mm-hmm. And I say no, because the case is, you know, however long that case is itself. So however months, however many months that goes on and tracks on until there ends up being a resolution for the child, okay. it's very different. So we're talking about either months or years for the actual case itself. And then in the future, we want to make sure that we're providing resources that we're trying to build capacity, basically, when it comes to strategic planning and seeing where that goes in terms of what those resources look like. So not only like being in the court system, but seeing where these kids end up and seeing if they're okay, and Mm -hmm. also working more with the community and seeing what that looks like for them. What what does that success look like in school? Some sort of community center then, huh? Yeah. Be the next option for you guys. We have so many ideas running through our head about becoming more of a two one one service, which mm. is um, a more facing ser- a community resource facing service. So we're more in the background, right? So we don't. You literally can't come up to us and our website and say, "Hey, like I need a casa as uh-huh. a parent or as a kid." We can't do that. The court has to say Appointed. has to see the situation and be appointed to the case. So because we're in the background, it's not so easy to kind of get that exposure Mm -hmm. and also to be accessible to the people who need it the most. So that's where the strategic planning comes in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh So in this work, um, you guys are probably exposed to a lot of backgrounds and cultures. So sometimes families may have unconventional ways of parenting in some cases that are not obvious. How does the court take into account what is cultural rearing and what is abuse? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a tough question, and I actually talked to the program team about this because they have way more knowledge and, you know, they're facing the advocates who work with people of different cultural backgrounds. And Tyrese, he's really awesome. He's one of the advocate supervisors, but he uh, gave me this bit. Um, He said he's not sure if uh, we're familiar with the term cultural rearing, but families have different cultural practices, and we're fortunate in King County to have a lot of diverse families, of course, um, Child abuse and neglect harm children, speaking from the perspective of family law CASA. On our cases, we advocate for the children's best interests, and it's their best interest to be able to practice and appreciate their cultural background traditions with both sides of the families while being safe from harm. So that's the biggest aspect is what is it about that that's causing harm or not causing harm? And on our side, with the cases, with the help of advocacy and the volunteers talking to them, we get we get a better understanding of what that looks like. Uh. So we get we get the details of that. Yeah, because you so, get to spend a little time with them and figure that out. Exactly. So once okay. we figure that out, then the court understands that too because mm-hmm. we write about it in our reports. About time there's been a mediator for the the kids and the parents because right? kids be lying. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they spank me. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah, sometimes. And then there's other times where like, yeah, that kid needs to be protected. Yeah. yeah. And that's really good. But yeah. also, like, if they're saying they're spanking me and they're not, like, what is the underlying issue? Exactly. Like, why are they saying that? Right. right. Exactly. And so you get you get to talk. Because it's spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. There's many layers. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, you get to talk to the parents. You get to talk to the kids. You, you get an understanding of what is right versus wrong. Mm-hmm. And you... There's lots of allegations flying. There's lots of people trying to lie to the courts. This happens more often than you think. Oh, man. Even though you have to swear to like tell the truth, of course they want more things that benefit them. Yeah. Um, but uh, Who doesn't want more money? Uh, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's who ultimate, doesn't, who doesn't want goal? more time with their kids? Like, yeah, yeah. it's 
some people that's what they do you know and it's it's emotional and it's it's a lot of high intensity stuff happening Uh in court so you know not only you know our advocates stepping in but these kids actually get to breathe and talk to somebody who will listen feel safe exactly you know they can talk to their parents all they want but who who's going to be the one that's going to say okay this is what's fair Mm -hmm. and this is what we can tell the court so that they know because most of the time without these these advocates the court is not going to do their own research and Mm -hmm. figure out what's right and what's what's wrong they just don't have the resources they don't have the the time to do that no way (laughs) no way they're just there to make a decision they barely have time to read the file exactly uh, unconventional ways of parenting is oftentimes someone making the best out of his situation or someone being resourceful to do their best for their kids and their family. Mm-hmm. We're looking at things like, are they putting the needs of the children in the forefront? And are they willing to do what they have to do to address the safety concerns? Like how how are these parents like being malleable enough to make sure their kid is safe? Or is this just for their own personal benefit? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what's just so important about the work that we do is just uncovering so much of what the court does not know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many times you go home just like crying for a kid? <laughs> you know, I hear I hear some of the stories. We have staff meetings every week. We regularly hear about um different cases. So cases that need interpretive services. It's really great to hear that, you know, we were able to write a report in Spanish. You know, I love hearing about all the good things that we can do. And that's why we have those staff meetings every week Uh um, so that we don't get so downtrodden on all the, the most, most of the bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. So I know family law CASA right now is like your main focus. Is there any other projects uh, you want to get involved with? Yeah, I would really like to get involved with more of um, weed reform. There's a lot of gaps in the way that the government, um, the labor group behind people who sell weed. This was something like I was grappling with talking about today because it's like very personal. But people who work in retail weed stores do not have the same safety standards as people in other jobs. Because we're talking about people who handle cash. Um, who are constantly vulnerable to gun violence and robberies and burglaries. Personally, my partner um, of eight years, he was exposed to gun violence as a worker in a retail store, mm-hmm. and he had nowhere to run. Yeah. And it scared me to death. Well, what could have happened that day? What's the point of the security day? person? Exactly. That's there there, there is no. There is no security. Do. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you've ever been to a weed store, they're very small. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same fire standards as other buildings. They don't have a certain sort of level of safety that there should be for people who are extremely vulnerable to this industry. Uh Um, So that's something that I'm looking into, like talking about more with our our representatives. I just haven't Mm -hmm. like... It's also relatively new. It so is. It is. There's standards and everything else. That yeah. Really, it's good that you're thinking about that for those workers. Yeah. There's just so many gaps. There's a lot more focus on making money mm-hmm. um, and where that money goes and who benefits from that and who owns these places rather than the safety of the workers. Yeah. So that's something that is a big concern of mine that, you know, I haven't really like fully realized what that looks like yet. But that is, uh-huh. you know, that's a really great question, Lisa, because. That is something in the back of my mind that I would like to help out those workers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. that's something that people often don't think about. No, people don't think about that at all. So well, that's because it's it's a taboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it you know is. And so, but I mean, it, it'll get there. I mean, government's looking towards the getting how much? I mean, how many how many billions of dollars is it profit? Yeah, absolutely. Government's definitely going to get a hand in that. 
And it's not only the physical safety of workers who work in weed stores, but it's also the fact that the income that they make from these weed stores, you can put in all, all of the time and the hours that you want, but you cannot use that income on your statement when you're making, when you're filing for a, a loan. You can't. Really? Use, nope. You cannot use that time, that income when you're applying to a loan because that's federal loans that we're talking about buying a house. Even if that's your regular 95? Yep. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. What? Yep. Mm-hmm. They're still making money. Yep. You cannot use that income because this is state law versus federal law and federal, oh, federally covered it's not loans. Federally covered. There's so much more that we have to investigate and that we yeah. have to look into because of there's there's this huge disconnect between the two. Well, they found a way to tax it. I don't see why they can't find a way to help those people out with loans. Right, exactly. To advocate for those people is actually kudos to you, man. It seems Thank like you. you're a constant fighter for people that aren't that are getting a raw deal of things. Yeah. And that's seriously. it's good to have you out there and it's good to know these things. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you guys giving me a platform. No, not a problem. We appreciate giving you a pro- platform. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, thanks for educating us. <laughs> right? Absolutely. There's a lot of things me I didn't know. Me and Zach are each other like, uh. <laughs> really? I need All right, to read that's more. awesome. Um, Ronnie, I know you juggle a lot with, you know, you have a lot of ideas. You're involved with a lot of projects. And also you, on top of that, you have your part-time corporate job. How do you juggle all that? Because I work part-time in two different places, Honestly, like I'm really grateful to have a stable home life. I have a stable partner. I'm honestly just really fortunate to have found these two places that are flexible. I'm just really fortunate. I really am. Uh And I think that working on my mental health in the past few years since when I was in college has really helped me out and knowing like exactly what I want. You know, I don't really mind the actual like physical work of it itself and like going back and forth to different jobs. Um, but knowing that I'm making a difference is really just what pushes me and what makes me super happy and super joyful. Like, um, can you share with us what is something you wish more people knew about and why? This is a really great question that like I thought about like all night. Sorry, I didn't mean to keep you up. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's like good keeping Keep up. it going. It kept her up. She couldn't sleep. No, ashwagandha was not working. <laughs> something I wish people knew is that. Showing up imperfectly and mm-hmm. and like doing things imperfectly, but being willing to show up is like so important. And like one of the most rewarding things that happen at Family Law is hearing about the, the volunteers, the advocate stories of the impact that it's made on them. So them putting in the work for nine or 12 months, mm-hmm. you know, writing ports, you know, driving to places and learning about these kids, families and so on and so forth. And then learning that all the work that they put in has really impacted their life. And that theme again is just like they didn't know how things were going to come out. You know, they can't they can't foretell the future and what happens with this family, nor can they control it because they need to they have to be neutral. We train them to be neutral Mm -hmm. and unbiased. But I think that is really like a great recipe for being successful when it comes to community organizing, um, because you can't you can't force change. But you can you can definitely make sure that there's something that changes in a positive way. I just find that really like humbling is just knowing that these people really didn't know what they were getting into, but they knew that something was going to come out really well for the kids. I like that too. Yeah, I love that. kids are the ones that need to be spoke for. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of people doing that. Yeah, I mean, what they gave up most of the the kid funding programs a long time ago. Absolutely. So it's good. Yeah. It's good to hear that Casa's stepping up and. Yeah. 
Yeah. That they've got some donors and people that are willing to help get the kids a, their voice. We're really fortunate to have these volunteers. We have yeah. many active volunteers that do so much work. Do you have like a website or something like that you want to say so that you get more volunteers? Yeah. I mean, what county or do you just do King County yeah. or is there the, the whole King County? Just King County. Ooh, yes. It's a lot of land. Yeah, it is a lot of land. Um, some of the strategic planning, actually, uh, we've had ideas about moving to other counties and expanding our work. But, of course, that requires more capacity building and growing our organization. How many people are on your team? Um, so there's four on the development team. And then there's about, I don't know, let's say seven or eight on the program side, the <sighs> supervisors. And we have about 160 um, active advocates Oh, okay. Yeah, who are on cases, Oof. doing things. I thought it was just 10 people running this thing. <laughs> no. I'm like, good you, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder why you need to decompress that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're a pretty small nonprofit. Yeah. And yeah, we operate on a million dollar budget. Good. Yeah. And like to for us, like that's- For all those kids yeah. in King County. There's a lot. They're, you guys can sure stretch your dollar, can't you? <laughs> we tried to. I mean, after 20 years, you got to figure something else out and right. make sure you're growing bigger. But, um, yeah. Grocery outlets got to be <laughs> like on your guys' speed dial, huh? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's really good. It's mm -hmm. good that you guys take on that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I see why being imperfect on this sort of thing is uh, – it, it, you have it speaks to roll volumes with, for you, you guys. Yeah, you, know you have saying? to roll with the punches. Because there's absolutely. no way it could be a perfect product, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Especially dealing with domestic violence and... And dealing abuse. with the court system. Yeah. And, like, the things that they can't provide. We have to pivot. We have to mitigate those things that they cannot provide. So, recently, that actually brings up um, that we requested more funding for interpretive services. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, like, there's, there's all these people who need all kind of languages to read mm -hmm. about reports and read about what the what the court's saying about their own families and it's a good thing you came from white center because there's <laughs> a lot of dang languages out i know, here, you know for what I'm real. um but yeah we recently requested more funding and they declined it they're all like nope we don't have nothing for that and we're just like well now we got to raise more money for translation services because yeah. that stuff is not cheap <laughs> not right. a, for official court stuff yeah not cheap well they have to decipher all that too yeah all that lingo yeah court lingo I hate court lingo. <laughs> I can't stand it. It's it's hard to. I can't even read my that. lease. <laughs> <laughs> right? I need an interpreter. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Hold on. I need an English interpreter <laughs> right, for, my lease. for this lease. Yeah. Good lord! How many cases do you guys get a day? Um. So we do it by month, and uh -huh. we usually get about three or four a month. That's okay. on average. Manageable. Yeah. So it's actually yeah. gone down since the pandemic. Uh huh. Because um, you guys can't visit the home or anything like that, right? Uh, we we can. Yeah. We can visit the homes and do all that, but we can't go to court physically. They still do family court mm -hmm. via uh, Zoom. Oh, yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. are you guys on those Zoom meetings when you guys when it happens? Not me personally. Well, um, Casa itself. Yes, we are. Yeah, okay. we have our advocate supervisors, and we have the advocate volunteers as well who mm -hmm. write the reports. The supervisors are basically. The skeleton of what the advocate does for the kids. Mm -hmm. So we help them to make sure everything looks right. Everything is, you know, court appropriate. But the volunteers are the ones like doing the physical labor of like going, going out, going and out and writing that. these things. Yeah. Do you Gotta think eventually you'll convert to full time? I'm not sure yet. It depends on where the need is. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you know, as we grow into this planning process, like perhaps we'll need more of a communications person. Mm-hmm. We'll need more marketing, that sort of thing on the development side. Um, but most of our money is is definitely like on the program side um, where they do a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm very open to it. I'm open to getting, you know, more of that time with mm-hmm. the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep doing big things for it, man. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's good to know about Didn't these I say things. she was amazing? She is amazing. Thank you for coming. I <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, of course. No, thank you so much, Ronnie, for sharing your stories, educating us. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't know about, and we just got to mm-hmm. read more. And like you said, the perfect recipe is just, just to show up. It's yeah. okay if you're imperfect. It's okay if you don't know what to say, mm-hmm. as long as you show up and you're yeah. willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're willing to that's, learn. That's the recipe. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, so, Ronnie, um, for our listeners or anybody listening um, if they want to get connected with you, they're interested in giving or, you know, just in general connecting with you, how can they get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So please visit us at our website, familylawcasa.org, or you can also email me directly, rnuin at familylawcasa.org. So R-N-G-U-Y-E-N at familylaw.org. Yeah, get in contact with me. We definitely want to connect. Thank you, y'all, for tuning in and listening to Voice. Super creative, strong, intentional with everything you do. So you really do inspire me and I'm sure, you know, all of our listeners. So thank you for being here. And we hope to inspire our listeners to, you know, stay connected with the community and, you know, love one another. (laughs) 